0: You're listening to the Bible for normal people, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. and I'm Jared Bias. Hey everybody welcome to this episode of our podcast and our episode today is Pete Holmes on why the Bible is way interesting and you can probably guess who our guest is. I don't is. know. Who 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 is it? Who is Pete Holmes? Who does Pete Holmes think he is? That's all. More these questions maybe, what, will be answered. What is
1: Pete Holmes? What
0: is Pete Holmes? <laughs> Why is Pete Holmes? That's the question I think America's asking. Hey, if you don't know who he is, uh, you've got a computer. Google his name. But Pete is a just a very very funny stand up comedian.
1: Has his own show on HBO.
0: Yeah, and HBO specials, mm-hmm. and he had this show called Crashing, which I, I thought was just. Uh, if, I feel like if you want to get to know him a little bit, I just think his personal side came through. It was just a really good show to watch, and I loved it. Yeah, he also is a former evangelical, raised in you know, a pretty strict evangelical home who had his own experiences. And a lot of what we're going to talk about today is just how he has come to look at his faith, whatever that looks like right well, he now. He calls it Christ-leaning. Christ-leaning, Christ Yeah, interesting way of putting it. And just how he reads the Bible and just the nature of faith and God. And and this comes out of a book that he just
1: wrote. Yep, comedy Sex God by Pete Holmes. So that's the the book we'll be talking about. But I mean it's not really a, a book. I mean Pete Holmes is a stand up comedian and he really is just talking about his life. So mm-hmm. we're talking about his life, his faith, and how he has come to see God in a new way. And I thought it was a refreshing, energizing new perspective on how to think about some of these things.
0: Yeah, I mean, his his book was, for me, is like, he's really thought about this stuff. And, and it's funny, but, you know, that's what comedians do. They're funny, but there's also substance there, too, as well. They're, they're woven together. And just, I think you'll agree, just talking with Pete, he has, he's thought deeply about a lot of things, and he's read a ton of stuff, and he just he was just really interesting yeah he's to no talk slacker to. he's no
1: slacker did
0: you think he would be jared is that what you're a saying slacker?
1: I, perhaps yeah yeah he's from
0: la yeah, exactly west coast
1: but uh he wasn't uptight he's not east coast he didn't yeah. you know so but it was great so let's get into this yeah. conversation with pete holmes
2: let's do that if you can't handle that how are you going to handle a virgin birth it's in the story That is an invitation for your rational, dualistic, egoic mind to take a hike. This is not head stuff. It's heart stuff. It's trying to use the mind to beat the mind. And I know that's very unappealing to the Western mind that wants to know and know that we know. But you need to get that stuff out of here. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time
1: for us to talk about microdosing.
0: And just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Pete Holmes, great to have you on our podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm thrilled. I really am. Yeah, well, well you kept calling, you know, so I, I know. figured fine. Jeez, <laughs> how do how would you shut this
1: guy up? Yeah. We just anyway, kept yeah. Emailing. we were like who is this guy? Well, it, <laughs> it, it yeah. is funny. Well,
2: I know a lot of Christians that try and break away from the the Christian market, the Christian audience, for lack of a better term. And I'm sort of the opposite. I, I really get excited when I can uh, speak to people that were raised like I was or, or have similar questions that I do uh, and deal with similar issues in the same vocabulary. So that's really exciting for me. I, I think it's harder to go to my audience. I, I can swing back to you guys, but it always gets me really excited when I do. So I'm happy to be here.
1: Excellent. Well, let's just jump right into that because we do want to spend a a good amount of time on where are you now and how have you put pieces back together. But before we do that, just give us a little of your faith background and journey and how maybe it paralleled with your career and
2: how those intersected. So just give us a little background. Sure. I I will say that off mic, we were talking about the difference between um, deconstruction and reconstruction. And I just have to say that, I mean, you're just tearing a page from the book in my heart. I, I hate I don't hate. I'm just so bored with deconstruction. Mm -hmm. So many people... I I give a four-year maximum to your deconstruction phase. And (laughs) I really, like, effing... Is that in the Bible? I don't know. It should be. Probably. I'll find it. Let's add it. Let's add an amendment. Like, I just feel (laughs) like there's so many fun things to do to, like tear down all these things that people handed you, and and there's so many things to sort of like get angry about, or, you know, like, it, it feels like this rebellion, right? But Rob Bell, who you guys know, who's who put mm-hmm. us in touch, is a dear friend of mine, and we did the speaking tour together, and every night he would say, uh, there's this rabbinical teaching that any old donkey can tear down a barn, but it takes a special one to build one. And, mm-hmm. and then I would riff on that, how funny it is to think of a donkey holding a hammer with his hooved hands and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but like, that's, that is what I'm about. Like, I think when people know that I'm a Christian, uh, sorry, know that I'm a comedian and that I'm interested in Christianity and interested in faith, they assume that I'm going to do what Carlin did. And I, I think Carlin was great, yeah. but that I'm going to be tearing it down and talking about you really believe in a talking snake. And I'm like, can you please come at this more intelligently than a kindergartner. You know what I mean? Like nobody <laughs> believes that. I mean, some people do believe it literally, but there's so many people that know Semitic poetry. There's so many people that know how to read mythology overlaid over history. You, you know what I mean? Like scholars, interesting, deep thinkers that appreciate literary approach and and, and poetry and metaphor and myth and all of these things that are intelligent and soulful and wise, and to throw them away by being like, you think there's an old man in the sky. I'm just like, get over it. I can't yeah. stand it. And that is not what I'm about. Yeah. And, right. that is, and well, that, that's and that's not what my book is about either.
0: No, it's definitely not about that. And, you know, I just, Jared and I have similar experiences where, you know, if you're, if your entire Christian faith is centered on defending what you believe and being right. I mean, all you do is argue. So, when you start to deconstruct, that just stays with you. And you don't know how else to be a Christian other than by arguing with people. And I think, I mean, I've experienced that myself coming to the place – of seeking peace and saying, I'm just tired of arguing about anything.
2: It's a, it's a waste of time. Being yeah. right and being wrong or being in or being out or cherry-picking 5 to 10 to 15 to 25 Bible verses and then defending them is not what, in, in my interpretation, the gospel is about. It's not about being right. It's not even about being a good person. So many people say to me, they're like, look, we can agree, uh, we're better with religion, and it sort of comes down to just be a good person. (laughs) And I'm like, it is not boiled down to being a good person. That is ridiculous. Like, if Christ had gone around telling people to be a good person, would we still be talking about him 2,000 years later? And do you think there's really no one else in that time in Israel saying, be a good person? Do you really think that's radical enough of a message to start a revolution and to get yourself killed? It is so stupid. I'm not putting people down. Like, my parents are are sort of people that think that it comes down to be a good person. But I'm like, that is not what's happening. Mm -hmm. It is so much more vibrant. It's so much more colorful and sexy and electric and alive and exciting. And it got ruined by the debate Debating, it got ruined by the in and the out, and the us and the them, and the right or the wrong, and the oh, this this text says Goliath was thirteen feet tall, and this one says he was about six six. Which one is right? And was it a literal <laughs> seven day creation? And why would God have to rest if he's a t- like? Get out of the way. This is not about being right. This is not about being in the arrogance to think that you can contain. Infinity. Yeah. And even if you don't believe in God, we're talking about infinity. We're talking about something that is so expansive. Even an atheist, uh, and I, most of my friends are atheists, and I think they're beautiful people. I'm not trying to change them. We believe in infinite possibilities. And they, the better atheists that I know, will have the humility to admit that they do not know. And it, it's not even capable to house an infinite mystery in the four walls of their brain. And yet, Christianity has been steam cleaned and ruined into this, as I say in my book, it's certainty worship, and it's membership, and it's an ego trip of we're right and they're wrong, and it's always your group that's right, and it's every other group that's wrong, even amongst other Christians, it's a waste of time. It is not about being right. It is not even about being good or being polite. Oh, withhold your feelings about my stupid shirt, and you're on Jesus's team. Like, you didn't say stupid <laughs> shirt. You must be one of God's children. It is not about that. It is completely about revolutionizing and rewriting the very – place or no place, that you view reality. And that, as you said, Pete, I'm sorry I'm preaching, but I get passionate about this stuff. That is where peace is. That is Mm -hmm. where joy is. Not later, Now, right now, where I view who is having anxiety changes how I interpret my anxiety. Do I identify with my anxiety? Am I in the world and of the world? Or am I in the world but not of the world? I see my anxiety from somewhere else now because I, I identify as spirit. And that changes the way that I interact with you. And it changes why I'm good I used to be good because I was afraid of God, because God was going to kick me into a furnace. And now I'm good because I see, as Christians would say, the indwelling Spirit, the, the the Holy Spirit in you, as the as the Hindus would say, the Atman, the the soul that we all share, the peace of God that's inside of all of us. Then you treat people good, not for a reward later, but because you see them for what they really are, which is a piece of of this, of the one thing that is undulating that we call reality. I'm mm. done. We can be done now. No,
0: that, you know, I, that's <laughs> fine. First of all, I mean, I, I appreciate the sermon. Uh, Jared just became a Christian just now.
2: <laughs> you converted me.
0: Yeah, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> I've been working on him with Bible verses for a long time. It hasn't been working. So. But, you know, I, I, honestly, too, Pete, I think I've always thought of comedians as sort of preachers and prophets anyway. If they're doing it right, that's my little humble opinion because Mm. I'm not a comedian. But, I, you know, so I think what you're doing is you're – and that stuff comes out in your work, I'm sure. You know, you're trying to drive home some of these points. Yeah, well, you know,
1: one of the things I was thinking of is, you know, we talk about the boredom of deconstruction. But there was such a frustrating time in my life where I've begun to start seeing reconstructive as this, like, creative act – And creating something new is incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm, So, like, in my deconstruction phase, I had this blog, and I was like, from now on, I made this pronouncement. From now on, only positive, reconstructive, new ways of being Christian in the world. And it literally sat untouched for five years. Mm. So I was like, oh, well, I actually don't know how to do that. Yeah. (laughs) So I just had this immense respect for people who can reconstruct because it's such an energy. It is creating, whether it's creating in the arts or creating beauty in the world or creating love or creating connection or creating these new things. That takes a tremendous more effort than, like you said, sort of the donkey tearing down the barn. Mm -hmm. That's a a bit of an easier thing. So, you know... Have you sensed that as well? Was that an easy journey for you to reconstruct, or was it a painful, long-standing, sort of figuring-it-out journey?
2: Well, the only way that I could come back to being Christ-leaning—I call myself Christ-leaning, and that's almost entirely psychological— the, the symbol systems that you inherit as a child are always going to be more powerful, I think, than ones that you discover in your mid-30s. And I, I, I think that's a psychological phenomenon, first and foremost. But um, the only way that I could sort of come back to enjoying the Bible and and very much enjoying Christ is by getting rid of all of it. So, I think that's, that's super powerful. I, I often tell people I, I don't want them to agree with me. I don't want them to think the same thoughts as I think. I don't want them to have the same, as I say, symbol systems as I have. I want them to be free. And I think if you look at Jesus, he wants you to be free as well. And freedom sort of starts with zero. Making yourself zero, as Gandhi said, sort of makes your power infinite. Like you need to start from a place where you drop your hometown, you drop your parents, you drop your desire to fit in, you even drop your desire to go to heaven or avoid hell or any of that stuff and you make yourself zero. So when I was briefly atheist, I joke in the book that I was a atheist because <laughs> it felt like a relief to me to drop that horrible, of all the things that the church sort of gave me, the thing that I found the most traumatic was walking around with a, a pit in my stomach that everyone I knew pretty much was going to hell with a very mm-hmm. very few exceptions. And I, I sort of I've started talking about that on stage as a stand up is that's a dark thing to to go see your Jewish doctor who who heals your broken arm and think, well, who's going to heal him when he's burning alive mm-hmm. forever? And the only way that he can not do that is if I make him a clone of me, because I the quote in the book is, I say, it's a fucking shitty way to go through life, trying to turn mm-hmm. other people into versions of you. It's just not what we're here to do. It's not the God that I see. Richard Roy says that we've made a God that's like us instead of the other way around. I would add to that that like the God that we've made is angry. He wants to kick ass. He wants to destroy our enemies, and he wants to build us up with earthly riches. He wants to give us power. He wants to give us money. He wants to, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? He wants to give us all the things that we just also so happen to value in modern Western culture. Like God is also Mm -hmm. adapted to inherit our values, (laughs) which is, of course, nonsense. But the God that I see that we are living as a part of loves and cherishes diversity but there's thousands of varieties of flowers and thorns and weeds and as the bible says the the sun and the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike and it falls on the lilies and the roses alike yet Mm -hmm. when i was a rose I was told to go out and make everyone into a rose instead of appreciating the lilies and the daisies and, you know, and the orchids. I I, I was charged with a mission to turn everyone into my kind of flower, which is just, uh, mm. which is, like I said, it's is just a crappy way to live.
0: Yeah, it's a, and as you're saying, you know, you're talking about your, your brief time as an atheist, I think, and, and not to minimize it, but I think it's it, it's very healthy for people Maybe not everybody, but for people to go through what you might call an atheist phase to press reset on everything because the, the views of God that they have, of the, of the infinite creator that they have, is very toxic. Yeah. And that's been downloaded for, you know, much of their lives. And the only way to start over again is to sort of like die to all that. That's or right. have All that die to you. And, you know, if God is real, God can handle that. Yeah. God knows what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, You know, it's not like, oh no, what's God thinking? It's like, oh, you
2: can't even care about that. You just have to, like, I have to stop. Obviously, I sort of have like a Eastern, <laughs> more of an Eastern bent and I would be like, God is forgetting himself and God is returning to himself. So, it's not even some God somewhere else watching me and going, oh, Pete lost faith in me. It's more of a dance or a play where, I, where I'm forgetting myself and then I'm remembering myself. I, I love that Alan, Alan Watts, he doesn't say this, but I heard a talk that he gave and the way that I summarize it is that an atheist is God's greatest creation. Because if this is just a play, you know what I mean? It's Like I say, it's an undulating fountain of yes, of being, if he, If we came here to sort of play hide and seek with ourselves, the person that absolutely fundamentally does not believe in a, a source or a creator is playing the game so beautifully. <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. it's like getting lost in a movie so deeply that you forgot it was a movie uh-huh. that it's actually the most exquisite way to play it It's like wow, he's so deep into it, he forgot himself, and that's kind of what he did to play this game in the first place, but that that's sort of an interesting thought experiment. But once yeah. I w- once I let go of all that, I, I was sort of I was free to slowly come back to it, and that was through the three steps in my book, which is Joseph Campbell, psychedelics, and then Ramdas, which is which is the three steps I took. Right.
1: Yeah, and I want to get into that a little bit because I think Joseph Campbell, and just it, it, and we can move beyond Joseph Campbell, but just the idea of myth making, symbolism, and getting underneath how we. You know, we have to articulate things in our culture and our language. It's something we talk about a lot on the podcast, and how there's, and and how myth isn't a bad word, and how that can actually f- propel us into something else. But I, I, you know, just to kind of backtrack in that Eastern thought, thinking through, you know, we we've had Richard Rohr on the podcast a few times, and I noticed you have that kind of in the further reading and that idea of Christ in all of us and mm-hmm. God in all of us. And how that is—I think that's a new new thought for a lot of our listeners because, you know, for me growing up, I would have taught at best that was new age and at worst that was like God paganism. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. No, I understand. Um, so how, how, how would you square that or do you even try to square that with anything you grew up with? And you just kind of say— yeah. This idea of Christ consciousness or God in all of us is uh, maybe a trajectory of what I grew up with. But yeah, in some ways I have to leave, to use Paul's language, we have to leave sort of childish things behind and we develop and mature into a greater understanding of things.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Pete said it too, was the idea of death and resurrection. I, I think that is what's going on in my own experience of faith. Is that I died to what I was what I might what I would call my inherited faith, and then I resurrected to it. And then obviously I start looking the way that I read the Bible now, specifically the words of, of Jesus, I would say I, I lean on the most. I'm not I'm not too interested in the other stuff, um, even though I, I I'm pretty familiar with it, but I, I really <laughs> I don't know why, I just kinda hang on Jesus more. But like for example, when when Christ says, um, you know, when what you do for the least of these, you do for me. When I was a a kid, I took that as a guilt trip. Um, And when I saw a homeless person, I would think, and there's nothing really wrong with this. It still ended in me doing something kind. I would give them food or money because I would think that that was Jesus. And the difference now is I, I see Jesus saying, or I see Christ saying, to be clear, he's saying, that's me, meaning that's all of us. Like, it's all one When you give a sandwich to a homeless person, you're giving a sandwich to the only thing, the only game in town, which is Christ, which is this. Um, So, I see that as an invitation and and a hint towards unit of consciousness. And to keep it in the Bible realm, because I know that's this podcast, when Jesus is saying, or rather Christ is saying, I'm the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, I see that as he's speaking as the Christ, which is the same mystery that other traditions are also getting to. Richard Rohr, as you mentioned, is so good at tirelessly reminding people that claiming an exclusive connection through one place... To the Like, this is the only way to the thing that only we have is always and only an ego trip. And to say that the native religions of, of America, and which, you know, I don't know if they're Catholic listeners, but the Pope said, like, there's nothing in Christianity that you guys didn't know already, because they had such a deep connection to nature, or Indians, or Jews, or Muslims, or anything like that. It's all, it's all one thing. I see Jesus speaking as the Christ, which is a place that when we're quiet, when we turn off our objective, dualistic thinking minds, we can get to that quiet little dollop of Christ in us. And when we're there, you see it's laughable. The way that we try and contain and sell it and show it off like we have it look at our statues look at our buildings look at our funny hats and that's what psychedelics did for me it's like when you get in that place that is christ consciousness you're like we're not even close i tip our hat for us to try but when you have a true mystical experience you're like this is ineffable It's sweet that we're trying, but this is why myth, this is why metaphor, this is why parable, this is why music, this is why story, this is why art, because the only way to get at this is indirectly. To quote our friend Richard, myth is always true and sometimes really happened. That is what we're talking about. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for
0: you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union
1: Presbyterian Seminary where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path.
0: You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential online, and hybrid. You'll find a
1: world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzouk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for Normal People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People.
0: It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. when using the code normal people at checkout, that's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code normal people at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com code normal
2: people. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. When I describe, just like Rob uses the same example, his love for his wife, he uses simile, he uses exaggeration, he uses illustration. Because when you just say, like, when I'm with my wife, you know, I'm aroused. What? That's nothing. It's not it's not it. It's not it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know, well, there's something really uh I appreciated even how you said that of the when like the homeless idea of what, the when you do this to the least of these, you do this to me, and it's a, it's a flipping of the power dynamic from I like to go I like to talk about the moving from to to with that you're doing this to someone rather than we're doing it with. We we are a part of this. That's and right. and there's something really powerful about that but i also wanted to check in about you said christ leaning and you mentioned something like when you have this experience this mystical experience of the ineffable there's something that could lead to not labeling yourself as anything and so is there is there worth in i call it kind of having conviction without exclusion and it seems like a really difficult road to walk of how we're convicted like i would identify as a christian but not to the exclusion of others. And that seems like a really difficult thing to do. It is. Have well, you-
2: welcome to the paradox, baby. It's the pathless <laughs> path. It's a path but it's not a path. And if you can't oh, if you can't handle that, how are you going to handle a virgin birth? It's in the story. It's a pregnant virgin. That's what faith is. It's a pregnant virgin. That is an invitation for your rational, dualistic, egoic mind to take a hike. This is not head stuff. It's heart stuff. And it puts these paradoxes and these contradictions and these weird mysteries, almost like a, a Zen Buddhist koan. It's trying to use the mind to beat the mind. It's like, you want to come in here? As Muji says, take off your shoes. Your shoes are like your thinking mind. And I know that's very unappealing to the Western mind that wants to know, as Ram Dass says, we want to know and know that we know, right? Mm-hmm. But you need to get that stuff out of here. To quote Richie Rohr, we're going to quote Richie a bunch. He says... (laughs) that we all got lost in worshiping the signpost. There are all these signs that say this way to Detroit. And we've we've taken those signs and we've put them in buildings and we pray to them and we worship them. And he goes, at a certain point, you're going to have to just go to Detroit. So Christ leaning, because Jesus as a teacher and as a symbol and as an energy is very powerful to me and, and is great, but it, not to the exclusion, when, when you get into that place of oneness, you see that it doesn't really make any difference. What gets you there? Like I write in the book, I tell the story about what about the guy that's stranded on a desert island? He doesn't hear about Jesus. He goes to hell. That's what I used to think. And I was like, that guy is with Christ. Christ is looking out of his eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like Christ is the thing that's giving him his being. It's it's like Richie says, You know, Yahweh—the name Yahweh—is like the in-breath and the out-breath. It's on his lips, whether or not he adopts our symbol system, our story structure, our holy books, or our songs or our or our buildings. Those are just places. That are supposed to give you the experience, but we've gotten lost in worshiping other people's experiences, right? We trust that someone somewhere, St. John of the Cross, he had a religious experience. I'll just read about his. No, go on and have one. And don't just worship worship Christ. Go and do likewise, as I say in the book. Get on with it. To bring the Bible in, Christ says you'll do far greater things than these. What is he talking about? Was that, what is, was that just an aside? Was that something we're going to conveniently look past? He's saying, get on with it. Don't worship my transformation. Get to transforming yourself.
3: Hey everyone, my name's Dave Carlton and I'm in my basement with a flashlight and I'm looking for some kids' clothes, and I can't find them. Anyway, while I'm down here and it's quiet, I figured I'd read this for you. This podcast is brought to you by supporters on the Patreon platform. For as little as $1 per month, you can be part of the group that brings this podcast to normal people everywhere. You'll also be bringing the podcast to some weird people, like me. So if that word normal has been holding you back, I don't think they're strict about it. Go to patreon.com slash the Bible for normal people. I actually really like being part of the producers' group. In my life now, I don't often get a chance to give people feedback about their creative work, and that's something I enjoy, so it's special for me. With that in mind, I want to thank my fellow producers, Jonathan Beck, Lucas Gibbs, Rachel Taylor, Brock Beasley, Nolan Archer, Kristen Backman, Todd Rivetti, and Layla Fry. The Bible for Normal People wouldn't be the same without you. Now back to the podcast.
0: You know, you mentioned paradox, and that, that's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around, obviously, because it's a paradox. But I guess, I think what you're saying is that the purpose of paradox is exactly that, to show us the inadequacies of our rational minds for apprehending, so to speak, or communing with God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then myth, you know, I mean, I think, can we talk about that a little bit? Because I know that that is such a negative word for people. It's not for me. It's not for Jared. It's it's a word that actually describes an awful lot of our lives and about any religious faith. But that's a trigger word for people too, as yeah. you know, yeah. like you didn't grow up in youth group hearing about myth. If you did, it was totally negative. So just for, for our listeners, explain what you mean by that. Like, What is myth and why is it a good thing?
2: Yeah, I, I vividly remember when I identified as an evangelical. If somebody called the Bible the myth, a myth, my body would—I'd have a visceral reaction. Like my stomach would churn, and I'd feel those pins and needles of anger and heat. And I, I'd be very insulted if somebody called the Bible a myth. But that—that's why I, the the way at an unknowable infinite reality is not going to be a direct line. We want it to be like building a bridge or um, designing a medicine. You know what I'm saying? Like We want it to be this precise, repeatable, Greek logic, Western, rational way of thinking about God when you need, I think Richard says the, the two essentials, no matter what approach you have to coming to God, is patience and humility. And I think a lot of times we lose that humility in favor of, like your book, Pete, certainty. We want to have certainty. And we totally lose our patience and we totally lose our humility. So myth is a way of saying there are truths that are so big uh, that you, you can only sort of see them in your periphery. It's almost like looking at a magic eye painting. Remember those magic eye paintings? You sort mm-hmm. of have to look past it, and then the truth would kind of emerge in this fleeting, but you know what I'm talking about? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the sailboat would suddenly be visible. That's sort of mm-hmm. how I feel about eternal truth and myth being the way that we can get at it. But you know, there's the, the myth, for example, of the Garden of Eden sort of ties into what we're talking about, is I see the Garden of Eden as being one with God, unitive. I, we used to argue about where in Africa was it, but now when I read, <laughs> yeah, right? What a waste of time. We, now I read it and I'm like, this is a, I can't believe the geniuses that wrote this these stories that I believe were I don't believe divine inspiration is over, by the way. I think it's happening all around. I don't think there's another kind of inspiration, to be honest. But in the Garden of Eden, you're with God. You you don't see separation, right? And then Mm -hmm. they eat of the knowledge of good and evil. That's duality, good and evil, yes and no, black and white, clothed and naked, man and woman. I was just thinking about this in the shower the other day. It's funny that Adam and Eve... Didn't have children until they left the Garden of Eden. That's a very interesting idea, right? Is like if you were in paradise with a naked person of the opposite sex, you'd think you'd have sex all the time, right? And therefore you'd have a lot of children. But they didn't do it until they left. If I was a pastor, this is what I would preach on. That's because there's no need to have sex when you are Eve. Adam is Eve, Eve is Adam, and they are God, and they are the garden, and they are the animals, and then they eat of the knowledge of good and evil. Duality is entered in. And it was our choice. We had a hand in it. We elected, we wanted the experience of separation. And then we started having sex. And then we started having kids because we were craving that union again that we had been kicked out of. And that's the situation I find ourselves in here. Now, what I just did there is a mythic interpretation of a story that if you look at it just literally is flat and boring and, and arbitrary. Like, it's not that boring, but it's not that interesting either. Myth says why is it in there if it's not literally true why is it in there why did they mm-hmm. include it because this is how some uh, semitic literature works they're doing these things for a reason uh like, like I had Alex Shia on my podcast and he was like a, a Semitic storyteller talking to a poor person will tell a story about someone getting robbed of ten dollars but if he's talking to a rich person he'll tell a story about someone getting robbed of a million dollars because the facts don't matter the feeling matters the audience matters that's why we see the difference in the in the four gospels who are they talking to how can they get you there it's a, it's a by any means necessary will you transcend yourself? Will you die to yourself? We're asking a pretty big ask. And fact or not, we just want you here. God is seducing you by any means necessary to transform and convert your heart into your true self. So, the Western mind would like to know where the Garden of Eden is on the globe. The mystic mind says, you are missing the point. It's about transforming your soul.
0: Well, I think the biblical writer meant that too, because as if to leave no doubt that we're in the realm of story here, it's like, all right, let's have a talking animal and two magic trees in the middle. That should get the point across pretty quickly that we're dealing with something here that is not of historical purpose.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm so bored when people are like, so Cain and Abel, they had kids and then and then what? Who are these people that they're marrying? I'm like, mm-hmm. get out of the way. We're trying mm-hmm. to explain the phenomenon of consciousness. One of my big points talk about the Bible. I'm quoting the Bible all the time is that God says his name is I am that I am. So this is the first metaphor that we have for being itself, for consciousness, for the, the quality of existence. And then, of course... We tell stories, and I don't mean to offend some of the people that really love the Bible, I like the Bible too, but these metaphors are always going to evolve and change, and some of the things we're going to drop them, because they were human beings interpreting an infinite mystery. This is when people are like, what about the slavery in the Bible? What about the misogyny in the Bible? What about the homophobia in the Bible? I'm like, yeah, the text, the ideas, the consciousness, the pulse of these things the ego wants to seal them, like like forever in a vault and be like, God said it, that does it, I believe it, right? That is not mm-hmm. what's going on. We are the word of God. We are the love of God. We are constantly in motion, defining and redefining what it is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a river. The ego wants to turn it into a statue. This is where Buddha comes in and goes, It's all on fire, baby. And that's, I I like some of that Eastern perspective to be like, what are you on about thinking you're right? Get over it. Well, it's interesting, just uh, a
1: side note, because my background's more in, in philosophy, is I think Western philosophy has moved toward that in, in, as it integrates with physics in terms of, I think of the philosopher uh, like Bergson and Gilles Deleuze, where it has the same kind of unified consciousness idea as part of that. But really what I want to say is, I'm summarizing this, it's, it's blowing my mind, because what I'm getting from this is uh, sex is a result of the fall. Um, mm-hmm. So the fall is good. <laughs> and we should be grateful for it?
2: Is that, is I, that the logic that we're coming I, to here? You know, it's so funny. I had um, the comedian Sinbad on my podcast, and he did this really funny riff about marriage, and he was like the two become one. He goes, that's subtraction. And I thought that was really funny, right? And <laughs> so, so many of us view marriage. So, so marriage is a metaphor, right? It, myths and metaphors aren't just for the Bible, and they aren't just for other spiritual texts. I, I'm not a literal believer, necessarily, I, but I, meaning I'm open to literal versions of the Bible. I'm literal versions of the Bhagavad Gita. I'm open to anything, because that's my humility. I'm not here to say that this definitely didn't happen. It's Definitely a metaphor. I am firmly planted in a place of unknowing. So, if a literal interpretation of the Bible gets you there, by the way, stick with it. Like, go ahead. As long as you're not hurting other people, get get there. However, you need to get there. Um, but I believe that the a wedding is a beautiful. We've lost it. But Joseph Campbell is one of those people that that helped me regain the meaning of a wedding, the two becoming one. Every Christian wedding I've seen, they have the two candles lighting the one candle, and it just seems like a saccharine, sort of nauseating cliché. But what it is, is it's a ceremony of a small example of what we are all to do, which is to wake up to our interconnectedness. You mentioned physics. Einstein and Christ agree— in the way that I read them, that this is one thing, the one Mm -hmm. split into the many. And and that's not an error. This isn't a holding room. This isn't a, a test. This is the play of the divine. That's why my daughter's name is Lila. Lila means the dance of the universe, the dance of the divine. It's what we're doing. We're playing to learn our about love, to learn about separation, to learn about pain, to learn about all of it, because it, it wants to know itself and to grow and evolve and, and experience. Because, I mean, think about it, if you were everything, what would you do? What game, to quote Michael Gunger's book <laughs> This, it's an incredible book, it changed my life. He says, if you were Infinity, what game wouldn't you play? You'd play all the games. Because if you were one consciousness, you could make yourself feel the, the rush of a million orgasms for how long? For how long are you going to do that? But to quote Alan Watts, "Before you make a button that says something happens, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You push it and something happens. That's why we're going deeper and deeper into this to lose ourselves, to learn about ourselves, and then ultimately return to ourselves.
1: Well, and if this the, if this seems kind of you talk about Eastern mysticism, but I, you know, I, I just want to name that writers like Lakoff and Johnson and some others just talk about this idea that. There's these meta metaphors and up so much. I had a class on on metaphor once and it was so frustrating how we couldn't even like talk for 10 seconds before we were talking in metaphor again. Mm. Like we kept trying to find ways not to talk in metaphor and language itself is quite metaphoric and it participates Righty. in these, hey, left took a you know, life took a right turn. Yeah. Oh, well that's participating in this life is a journey metaphor. Like what right. do you mean by that? Right. And so just language itself, it, it it just language itself points to the fact that we are human and we don't have access to reality as it is. It's beautiful. We only have access to reality as it's interpreted through our culture and we call that metaphor.
2: And as we can think about it. So this is a big point that I got from Ramdas is is we want consciousness without an object, right? So we've turned mm. God into an object because that's what language does. You see a tree. When my daughter who's 10 months old looks at a tree, she sees a tree in the way that I believe Christ saw a tree because that's my favorite Bible verse, is, lest ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of God, right? He's saying mm-hmm. stop labeling, as Eckhart Tolle would say, judge not, lest ye be judged, right? All of the major religions have some version of don't judge. And we used to mean like, don't put down people. No, stop labeling, stop comparing and contrasting. And we've created God into a thing over there so that we can think about it by virtue of how language works. But ultimate reality doesn't conform to the way that we've constructed our worlds, it's ultimate reality. So we need a way to quiet our minds. This is where psychedelics came in, and then later uh, meditation, breathing techniques, contemplation—all of these types of things come into silence because when we think about God, we're always a thought removed, as Ramdas would say. We're a thought away from where the action is. I've related to this to museums to sex, to dance, to music, if you watch two people dancing and you're thinking about dancing, you are missing it. You're supposed to experience it. You're supposed to stop thinking and merge with it. So, I'm not really selling necessarily equality with God. I'm talking about dissolving where the idea of me over here and God over there disappears, and that sort of question becomes irrelevant, if that makes sense.
0: No, it makes a lot of sense. It, it just—I just happen to be reading now Martin Laird's um, "Into the Sh- Into the Silent Land." I, I keep saying Shadowlands, because I'm thinking of C.S. Lewis. Anyway, <laughs> "Into the Silent Land," but he he makes this point, and it really struck me—I I think very much what you're saying now, Pete—that objectifying God is like the big Western problem. Yeah. God is out there and we control the. I mean, think about this like you've been ranting about, we think we can control the infinite through our language, and God is out there mm-hmm. instead of, you know, the journey, it truly really is inward. If, you know, as, as Christians confess, if we're made in the image of God and if the, the spirit of Christ dwells in us, you know, looking in is not a bad idea yeah, rather than looking yeah. outward to that thing that we can control. And, yeah. you know, as, you know, again, confession time here, as, you know, I'm a scholar, so what else do you think I do but objectify everything? That's right. You know, and I've and I had to learn through crap and through a lot of stuff that's happened that it ain't working, Petey. This yeah. is not going to happen that way. Yeah, so, no, but you know.
2: that's, that's that humility. I love that. I do that too. It's a very tricky game, right? When you ask me how I relate to the Bible – I would never uh, literally do this, but Alan Watts sort of suggests that you should burn the Bible every Easter, and I, I, I am not saying you should do that literally, and I do not he did not do that literally, but anything that makes you think that it's out there is in the way. So, in Buddhism, they have a very similar thing that I think people are familiar with, which is if you see the Buddha, kill the Buddha, because the Buddha is as I I love to say, is looking out your eyes right now. Christ is looking out your eyes right Mm. now. God and Yahweh, the in- inhale and the exhale, it's as close as the air on your skin. And we've forgotten and we've fallen asleep. And we've, we've learned to associate with our minds and our egos and our roles and our possessions and our genders and our identities and our nationalities. And all of that has to go. That is, so religion does not summarize to be a good person. Well, okay,
0: why, why do we do that like, why do we objectify? Why do we have this problem? What do you think about that?
2: I think it's I think it's a problem only in how long you do it. I think it's necessary. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. I absolutely think I still do it, and I use it as a- I objectify
0: that car coming at me.
2: Absolutely. And Right, I,
0: okay, that's a, it's a good thing.
2: I hold on to Christ as an image. I need it. Whatever mm-hmm. gets you there, if the object of Christ helps me- Merge and move beyond subject-object Christ and become Christ consciousness. Then it is it is paying out and it works and it's helpful and it's kind of the, all we can do. You know, when we talk about how we have to reduce reality into language, which is one of the reasons why I think a lot of us are walking around with like a low level of depression is because it's a little bit sad that all we have is language. We're all having these (laughs) very personal, internal, mysterious experiences and they get reduced and steam cleaned and homogenized and pasteurized into like, I feel blue. And that is such a stupid it's so stupid to make clicks and clacks and oohs and ahs and and that's that's us. That's not us, and it's not God either.
0: Yeah, but we were taught to do that. I guess you it's know. the best we
2: can do. It's the best we can do. Yeah, yeah.
1: and, and I, I don't know why I feel the need to keep defending the West, but I just think of you know uh, Kierkegaard who says truth is subjectivity, and he was so passionate about this move to the inward. And how Christian faith is about this, we keep making God an object, we keep making these things objective, and that our faith is in this objectivity, when truth is subjectivity. Truth is the enactment, it's the embodiment, it's getting in that dance. That's why they hated him. Right, that's why he was pretty rejected.
2: (laughs) Now, I I don't want to be, you know, I'm not even a crazy drug person, I've, I've done psychedelics a handful of times in my life, but to me... There's this, Ramda said, there was this expression in India when, when he was like, what's going on with LSD and, and mushrooms and all these things? And they were like, well, the West is a materialistic society, so God came to you as a material. That is, that's sort of what I'm talking about when I say that God is seducing hmm. you. It's a little bit like the hound of heaven. It's like, what's it going to take? Would you please, pl- he- I'm standing at the door and knocking, you know what I mean? Like, what is it going to take? Because God... I'm speaking metaphorically, God is also craving the union back to us. There's a, there's a, I love bhakti yoga. I love the idea of God as lover, you know what I mean? The intimacy that that is supposed to be there, I think is helpful to me. So, psychedelics, when you have it, and not everybody has to have it, and I'm not even necessarily advocating it to your listeners. I'm just saying, for me, when I took it, instead of thinking about what, unit of consciousness might be like. I didn't even know what that was. I experienced it, you know? And and then once you are there, you sort of have the roadmap back to it through meditation and through contemplation and and through prayer. You sort of realize, you know, I've turned a lot of Christians on to psychedelics and we have these ecstatic dinners where we go, I told you it's real. Like something is going on here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's not, it's almost it's like not training, training wheels. It's like
0: training wheels for a mystical experience because yes. Western people have difficulty getting to
2: it through the only channels that they're really familiar with. Yeah, right. I wish my okay. faith had been great enough to just be like, I I trust that something is going on here. They they said it, and I I take their word for it. Because of the way that I was viewing God, I needed a tactile experience. But I'm very happy to say. That while I still occasionally do psychedelics, it it stays, it stays uh, an open channel for me. That when I'm in the moment with people, as I as I'm being with you right now, as I'm speaking with you, I can still feel it. Obviously, the room isn't squiggling and changing. It's just a presence uh, chemical. It's a chemical that puts you in eternity which isn't something that starts when we die it's something that we are always a part of and we've applied the illusion of time because of a rock moving around a burning rock that happens every 365 days i mean like you know what i'm saying <laughs> like, mm-hmm. eternity is right now it's we're, we're in it right, right. now
0: <laughs> where else could we yeah. be <laughs> right that's a very Jesus-y thing to say
2: too, I think. Dude, when you start looking back and he's like, look at the birds of the air and look at, you know, whenever he's talking about nature and the vine and the fruit and all that sort of stuff, when I took mushrooms for the first time, I felt so at home on earth and I felt so, like I felt that inherent dignity as opposed to the narrative that, And I might have misunderstood, maybe they didn't mean to give me this, but I had a very much like a, this is not my home, I'm just passing through sort of attitude, which was that God made a simulation to test my character and to test my ethics. He put me in a virtual reality, basically, which I was not actually a part of, and that I would spend much more time not in this world, I'd be in heaven. Um, and now I'm like, this is it. This is, this is the body of Christ. This is it, <laughs> and it's mm. it's it's all in the game. I Richard says, you know, he he taught me. I, I wish I read the Bible this carefully. He talks about Jesus saying, "Let the weeds grow with the wheat," and that's another one of my favorite verses. Where I'm just like, it's all in it. We're not in. This to uh, just do willpower Christianity, as Richard calls it, which is just pushing the boulder away. Um, there's something beautiful about coming to terms with your neuroses and your anxiety, and not feeling like you've betrayed or lack faith, but to dissociate with them and go like, "That's happening. Pete is having anxiety, but the real mm. the real me." is is in a uh, be still and know that that I am I'm God it's in here it's looking out I'm it's it's all in the game the weeds and the weed are welcome like mm-hmm. they're they're growing at the same rate I'm still yeah. angry sometimes I'm still horny sometimes I'm still selfish and all these things and it's not a flaw in the system I'm not here to be phony my god is truth and freedom and honesty. And it, and it sucks that we can be more honest with our therapists than we can with our with our Christian friends. You know, I have to pay a, a secular person to tell him that this is what's going on in this psychology and this personality <laughs> and these dysfunctions where the God that I know sees and understands all of it and knows that it's not the real me anyway. That is the false self and it's going right. to go and the real self isn't going anywhere. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, Pete. um, we'd love to talk with you for hours. you but can you I don't prob- have to go <laughs> you you yeah we do unfortunately maybe maybe we can make this round one i mean this this was so much fun just to to chat with you and um hopefully this will give you know crashing season four. <laughs> this a jumpstart for I don't know because I love that show. But oh, thank see listen, you. what 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 are you working on now? Like do you have any projects, anything, you know, television and stuff? We knew you have a new HBO special that came out not super long ago. I'm yeah. trying to think of when that second the no, second not- one came out pretty recently, right?
2: A dirty Clean. It's called Dirty Clean. Um, because I swear, but people consider me a, a clean comic, which I always take as a very nice compliment. There's actually, your a haircut, man. There's actually yeah, it's my haircut. There's some interesting jokes about consciousness in that special if people watch it. Yeah. Um, I, I I did, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Good well, I, stuff, so. I would yeah. like to talk again. I, I did say I get very excited when I'm speaking to a Bible reading and, and Christian leaning audience. So, forgive me for talking so much, because I would love to talk with you guys as well, because I know I, I, I've i been reading your book, and it sounds like you guys have a lot to offer as well. Um, so, we should do it again.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and we should. And, and yeah, don't apologize for being excited to talk about things that are close to your heart and that you've experienced, because, I mean, that's the connection, you know, that unit of connection with a lot of our listeners who are just They're in a place of mess and deconstruction. And, you know, and I think a lot of what you said today is going to resonate with an awful lot of people. Well,
2: yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was great to have you. Yeah. And let's do it again by all means. How about every week? (laughs) Well, I'd love to do it again. I'm going to write another book. The first book is called Comedy Sex God. And there's been enough ideas, like that Adam and Eve thing. I'm like, that's got to go in the new book. I, I I think it's so interesting. I was so close you could, how to about How about a book of Bible stories? A book of Bible stories. Well, I do like... One of the greatest thrills of my life is going back and, and finding not a, not a truer or better or anything, just another way to look at Bible stories, because... I really do think it's a masterpiece in so many ways. Oh, yeah. And well,
1: isn't that, I think that's the beauty of uh, you know our friend Rob and just what he brings to the world is just a wonderful reimagining and reinterpretation of things yeah. that we've heard a thousand times in a new way.
2: And that's valuable. I think, and if I can plug something else that I have nothing to do with, it's Richard Rohr, it's on iTunes. It's called False Self, True Self. And you'll see that I was... I always footnoted him, but like that's where I'm getting a lot of these wonderful ideas. Richard, I love Rob's work and Richard does it a little bit differently. He does it more like a get over yourself, which I, I like a lot. Rob is sort of rescuing the Bible. Richard is sort of like, it's not even about that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know the difference, like Rob? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what is the Bible? I I think is is also incredible, and people should check it out. But it definitely has sort of like a. See, it is cool, you guys. And Richard is like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just get get over here. Get over (laughs) here. Get over. Go to Detroit. (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much again for taking out some time, Pete. It's it will, great to talk to you, and I, I echo Pete's words that this is going to be really valuable.
2: I I love talking about it. Please have me back on, and we'll chat again. Absolutely. Thanks, Pete. Okay. Bye, guys. <laughs>
1: Well, thanks everyone for tuning in for this episode of The
2: Bible for Normal
1: People. Today, talking about comedy, sex, God, Pete Holmes. Check out his book, pick it up. We really had a good conversation with Pete and just appreciate how he's able to navigate this world of comedy and having his own show in this creative force and also still thinking deeply about things like God and faith in the Bible. And I just was really impressed with how he was able to articulate and talk about things That we're interested in here. Yeah, me too. Me too, absolutely. Just a reminder we will have a live class on Genesis September 23rd as a lead up, as a ramp up for the launch of our second edition of our book, Genesis for Normal People. But this is a class one night only on Genesis. We normally charge for these classes because they take time and energy. We probably charge about 100 bucks for this kind of thing. But in this case, no human is going to be turned down for lack of funds. You just pay what you want. And we'd love to have you join us for that. Learn a little bit about Genesis. Get to know some other folks. Pete will be leading that and teaching that. So you can just go to the biblefornormalpeople.com front slash course, and you can look at there. It's also on the, the homepage of the website when you get there. So one night only, class on September 23rd. Pay what you want. We hope to see you there. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, and we'll see you next time. See ya.